This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. Welcome back to another episode in our A24 retrospective series. We're jumping ahead in the queue once again, um, a la The Green Knight, and taking one of A24's more recent releases to discuss, which is Sean Baker's Red Rocket. This is a bit of an emergency broadcast episode that I really wanted to do. Dakota saw this movie at the Vancouver International Film Festival a couple months ago and had nothing but good things to say about it. And I just saw it last week and I was really, really taken with it and just couldn't wait to talk about it. So Dakota very kindly uh, messed up his schedule (laughs) so that I could do this. So thank you so much, Dakota. How are you doing? We're getting really close to Christmas now. I know we are. Yeah, Uh, it's all good. You know, I I make this calendar and I plan it way out in advance. And, you know, I I take a lot of time and effort into doing it. And yeah, sure, I don't (laughs) mind it totally when you just flippantly decide to throw it all out the window like I didn't uh, work really hard on planning. I know. I know you do. I know that it's a meticulous schedule. Mm -hmm. And I just just completely was like, I have no respect for your schedule whatsoever. I know that you're over this movie at this point. You don't Mm -hmm. even care about Red Rocket anymore because you you were the cool kid. You got to watch it in a film festival and Mm, I didn't have access to it. Was it at Toronto? I don't think it was. I don't know. It might have been probably. I don't know. I'm probably just saying that because I'm making myself feel better for not selecting it if it was a part of the Toronto Film Festival. (laughs) You said you're never going to step a foot in Texas again. I know. This is unexpected. Nothing with you is unexpected. Your last job is over 17 years ago. That's quite a gap. Well, you know, I've worked almost every day for the last 17 years. I moved back in with my wife last week. No, I'm calling the cops. Really? Eight? We decided to make a run of it. I just need a place to crash for a couple of days. What's the big deal? Nike, go fuck yourself. All right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? I mean, Red Rocket has been doing exceptionally well this year so far with um, some of the awards. It's landing quite a bit of few nominations. Acting, directing, screenplay, various critic groups have already awarded it. Gotham Awards, Independent Spirit Awards. Simon Rex just recently won the Best Actor for the LA Film Critics Association, um, who is, he's our lead man. He is, he is our Red Rocket. <laughs> um, so let's dive right into some of the talking points for the movie. In terms of how A24 acquired the film, they purchased the rights to Red Rocket from Film Nation Entertainment, who, who still holds the global rights um, to, the film di- uh, to the film distribution to the film distribution in February 2021. Uh, this is the second movie from Sean Baker to be distributed by A24. Of course, the first one being The Florida Project. The film was released at Cannes. It was, or sorry, I should say the film was initially premiered at Cannes. Um, and then it was shown at a bunch of film festivals, including Vancouver, uh, TBD, whether it was at Toronto. And it had its limited theatrical release very recently on December 10th. The director is Sean Baker of course, of the Florida Project, Tangerine, and Starlet. And it is starring Simon Rex as Mikey Saber, a porn star trying to get back into the game. Brie Elrod, Lexi, who is Mikey's estranged wife and also a former porn star. It's also starring Susanna Sun as Strawberry, a three weeks away from 18 years old high school student, part-time donut shop worker, and will be the subject of Mikey's affections. I'm not going to 
do any spoilers for Red Rocket just because I know it hasn't really been released widely yet. And I do believe it will get a digital release. Um, I believe after the 24th, it's going to get wider and wider as the, as we go into the new year. Um, But just a brief overview of the film. Mikey is a porn star who has found himself knocked out from the top of the game and he returns home to Texas city penniless. He's living with his estranged wife and mother-in-law, much to their dismay, and is finding it difficult to land a job given his job history. He starts selling weed and he meets Strawberry, as I said, a part-time donut shop worker and high school student. And effectively what happens is Mikey begins grooming her, and the film doesn't necessarily follow topic of grooming that's not what the film is about Um, but as Sean Baker's growing trademark is becoming he's taking a very non-judgmental look at sexual practices and that includes grooming so I think that's an interesting place to start and probably the most obvious place to start in terms of this movie um, the grooming topic so you and I talked about before about Paul Thomas Anderson's um, licorice pizza Neither of us have seen it. You haven't seen it yet, right? Licorice Pizza? Not yet. No, it's high up on my list, though. So for those who don't know, Licorice Pizza has a relationship in it. The focal relationship is an older woman. When I say older, I mean like mid-20s and a high school student. And there's quite an age gap between them. It's gotten quite a bit of heat online um, for other reasons as well, but this was one of them. Sean Baker, though, has definitely gone under the radar for this one. And that's probably due to the fact that one, Red Rocket is a smaller movie. And two, Sean Baker is not PTA. PTA is in a bit of a different league to Sean Baker at the moment, Um, even though Red Rocket is decidedly more explicit. So Dakota, let's start off with this. What's your thoughts on how Sean Baker took a look at the grooming? And just generally speaking, how do you feel about movies, including a pretty immoral topic such as this. Yeah, that's a, it's going to be a hard topic to really dance around without, you know, getting myself sort of in trouble at times too. But yeah, it's a little frustrating when this movie is so much more explicit and I haven't heard a peep from anyone. And, you know, mostly it's, it's film Twitter being film Twitter where everything is an outrage because it needs to be an outrage. And that sort of seems to be the focal point with something like licorice pizza, where it's if I'm if I'm remembering the ages correctly, it's a 15 year old who is pining, lusting in love with a 25 year old woman. Obviously, a 10 year gap is quite large, especially at that age. That is that is quite significant. Whereas in Red Rock, you have a 17 year old who ends up dating and having a showing on screen a sexual relationship with a man in his I assume late forties to maybe early fifties, something around yeah. the forty-five to, to fifty-five range. Probably he's probably not in his fifties, but definitely in his late forties. And yeah, haven't heard a single thing. And then of course on the the flip side, you know, I, I guess I I am of the mind that uh depiction does not equal endorsement. And and so anytime, you know, you have the licorice pizza detractors come out, usually you'll have someone that basically says something that surmises to that same point that just because Paul Thomas Anderson is depicting something does not mean he's endorsing it. And that's something that I think a lot of people get confused where it's like, just because Anthony Hopkins played a cannibal, that does not mean that Jonathan Demi and Anthony Hopkins <laughs> support cannibalism. Like, 
when, when, where do you draw the line sort of thing? And then you have these two fictitious movies compared to um, real life of something like West Side Story, where there are credible accusations against one of its leads, Ansel Elgort, and no one seems to really care about that. And it's just like, so you care about a completely made up story uh, that is taking place between consenting actors and you don't care about real life when it doesn't always involve consenting people and people that may be underage. And and that's that sort of gets real tricky and in the weeds and stuff like that. But in terms of, of, of Red Rocket, it's interesting because, you know, it's it's often this argument of like, well, I, I don't want to use this word like age is just a number, but something like um, if you are 17 today and tomorrow you're turning 18, is there anything physically, biologically, mentally different about a person when they change age from one to the next age sort of thing. The only difference is in the eyes of the law, suddenly that there's a change. Obviously, we're still talking about a 17-year-old in a relationship with a man in his 40s, which is not okay in any way, shape, or form, but that sort of still stands. He's sort of plotting in his head of what to do when she turns 18, when she can legally make adult films and things like that. And then it sort of becomes tricky because she's three weeks away from becoming 18. And, and you're like, okay, if one day between that doesn't make a difference, what's two days. Okay. What about three days? What about four days? And then where do you draw the line is, uh, 21 days. Okay. Like I, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Obviously the answer is you shouldn't um, be having a relationship with someone under underage, but it sort of brings to the point of, if you can't drink until you're 21, can you drink a day before you turn 21 sort of thing? So I don't know. Am I making any point here or am I just sort of rambling right now? No, I mean, it's it's a really interesting – I mean, I don't want to get too far off the movie, but it is, it's a very interesting kind of legal question and, and discussion about, um, you know, what is equitable, not just necessarily like what is legal and what is illegal. Like laws are meant to protect – those who are in a position to Mm -hmm. need protection and you have to draw the line somewhere. Like there will always be a gray matter point, but at some point the legislature needs to say, okay, we're going to draw the line here. And you're right. It kind of doesn't make sense sometimes. Like even if we say a 17 year old who is say 11 months away from turning 18 in those 11 months, are they really all of a sudden going to grow into an adult and one who is able to make a, a better decision than they were 11 months ago? Do you know, and it's, you're still a teenager. You're still quite young at that time. Like when we think back to our lives, I don't know how many of us think like, okay, before 18, after 18, you just kind of think, you know, you have your preteen years, your early teens, and then your late teens, and then you go into your twenties kind of thing. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question, especially in terms of, a movie of like, I mean, in this one, clearly the character um, of Mikey is, I mean, it is grooming like that. That's not ambiguous at all. They don't make that kind of an ambiguous topic. He is definitely doing something he knows he shouldn't be doing because he's waiting for her to turn 18 to get her into movies, adult movies, not necessarily to engage in a sexual relationship with her, Mm -hmm. but he knows well enough to ask her, right? Like, Hey, how old are you? And she says, Oh, I'm turning, I'm turning 18 in three weeks. And I think it's interesting that Baker chose three weeks because it does 
raise that question you brought up of like, well, what's three weeks? Like what's really going to happen in the next three weeks that is going to mm-hmm. all of a sudden make the situation okay or not okay. And I, I like that. Like I like that Baker kind of very, very subtly, but not subtly at all at the same time raises this question um, for, for audiences to think about. Like she's not going to be, Strawberry's not going to be any different in the next three weeks. She will continue to be this person. And it's it's wrong obviously like it it is wrong and i don't like that that kind of brings to another point to raise but i think i think it's interesting how baker did it this way and like and also to creating mikey as he's a terrible human being because he is arguably manipulating a young girl who has the whole her whole life ahead of her whether it's you know move out of state, go to college, um, do whatever it is that she wants to do. She's only going to be 18. So she's got her whole life ahead of her and he's bringing her down a path that maybe in this moment she thinks is a great idea, but who knows, maybe in 10, five, 10 years time, it's something that she's not going to want to do. Especially, you know, given that the movie starts off with Mikey having a pretty hard time finding any kind of work, you know, it's not, it's not professional work. It's, you know, working as a server or working um, or some of the other jobs that he has, like a delivery person or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, he finds it really difficult to do that. And he knows this, like he knows the stigma that goes against um, people in his line of work. And yet he's still trying to get this girl in only for his benefit too, not even for her benefit. I think that's another thing to consider too, is like, it's completely selfish what he wants to do. He's a very self-serving character. Definitely. But likable somehow. <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's a prick. But like we kind of we, we laugh with him. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say we root for him, but I don't think anybody has any true animosity against him. Which sounds well, kind of yeah, terrible, but, <laughs> which sounds kind of terrible. But you know what I mean? Like, we don't we don't hate him as a character. He's not a villain in this whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that sort of speaks to te- the testament of the character that Simon Rex and Sean Baker have created for Mikey, because he is he is on the surface an absolute scumbag. Every every part of him, you know, you would want nothing to do with a person like him. You would not want to be friends with him. You would not to be in his orbit because he is a a scammer. He he will do whatever it can to get his way. He's he's self serving. He's selfish everything you could possibly think of, but still you end up kind of liking the guy despite all of these negative attributes about him. And, and I think that really speaks to Simon Rex's charisma that he's able to imbue onto this character because it's, it's, it's funny. You, you watch him and you see his thought process. You can, you can always see the wheels turning in his head of how can I turn this situation into my favor? And yet, yeah, you still also kind of look at him a bit like a lost puppy at times where you're like, you can't help but be who you are, despite the fact that you're clearly uh, a screw up and destined to make everything worse around you. But he still has, I I don't want to call it integrity, but still has something to him where you want to root for him and and be like, yeah, this time you're going to get your life back on track. (laughs) Do you find, did you, did you have that when you were watching it? Like you were hoping he would find a job. You were hoping he would, um, not to say that working in porn is a bad thing, but like working in a different career and kind of like turning his life in a different way. Did you ever hope that for him? Um, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. 
it's been a little while since I've seen it, so my, my memory is a little hazy on, on that regard. But I don't know. I, I just can't see a, a person like him sort of succeeding as being a, a server or a bartender or mm-hmm. a delivery person. Like, that's just not who this person is. He sort of has to, you know, to borrow a, a nomenclature from today is like a hustle culture. Like, that's that's sort of who he is. He He's always out there, not necessarily get rich quick schemes, but ways to, you know, be his own boss and that sort of thing. Uh, he's not someone that, that can be really be tied down by a, a nine to five shift or whatever it would be. That's very true. Yeah. And I do, I do kind of think he is a bit of a get rich quick, like not necessarily doing like pyramid schemes or something like mm-hmm. that, but someone who is looking for, I mean, he, he was looking for honest work. You know, he is looking for a job that will pay him just to pay him. And and he kind of will do, do what he needs to do to get there. But it, I always, I, I like that scene at the beginning, that montage of him um, doing the job interviews um, because I think it shows that he doesn't hold any, any anger towards the interviewers for not giving him a chance. Cause it's like, he kind of understands why they're not giving him a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like in a different movie, it could have been a real dramatic point where Mikey is, is, you know, kind of really angry about it, but instead he's just kind of like, well, yeah, of course they didn't accept me. Like, of course they didn't give me the job. He's more excited to, to show them his website. than the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, good shit. It's some good shit, bro. I thought yeah. that was really funny. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, you brought up an interesting point though, about a movie, you know, just because a movie shows it, uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's condoning it. Um, mm. it, this doesn't mean that Sean Baker is pro grooming or, you know, anything like that, but, and you also referenced film Twitter, which can be a bit of a cesspool, but something that I saw within film Twitter was, I, I'm going to bring up licorice pizza again, just because it's kind of interesting, the reactions to that movie. Um, there is a scene in licorice pizza that has apparently, I, so I, okay, I haven't seen it, but apparently it has some casual racism in it against a Japanese American woman. And keeping in mind, this movie was set in the 1970s in the United States when that is probably a very realistic depiction of it. But there was a lot of reactions from people who were saying, yeah, but this, it, they should have made PTA should have explicitly condemned this action it's it's not to say that the movie condones it and that's not enough to kind of stop there some people were actually saying you know we actually we need to see a movie say this is bad Mm because otherwise then you're just showing it and Mm -hmm. you know you're not saying so what what's your thoughts on that like that does do you because like i said at the beginning baker and this was in your review as well you said Sean Baker, one of the great things that he does as a director is he's very non-judgmental when he talks about different, um, maybe non-traditional sexual practices or or what have you. So well, what's your thoughts on that? That's a, that's a tricky thing because like, obviously I can only say so much. I can't say that you shouldn't be offended by something when I'm not the person, I'm not the group that is being targeted. So I can't say Japanese or people of Asian descent should not be offended by the joke in licorice pizza. One, I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment on it. Mm -hmm. And two, as a white man, I can't be like, no, Japanese people, you shouldn't find this offensive. This is a joke. What's wrong with you? Take like (laughs) 
Like that that's not an appropriate response. Obviously, and, and especially until I see it, I can't comment more on yeah. that. But from what I've read, it's interesting where it seems like it was included in a way to be like, this is what it was actually like in the 70s. Casual racism was a commonplace thing because it was casual. That's what makes casual racism casual sort mm-hmm. of thing. And it sounds like the the character is a bit of a bumbling idiot to begin with. So it's like, how much how much are you wanting filmmakers to spell out this is a good or a bad person for the audience? At what point are they... Are, are is a director or a writer or whoever is the creative process involved are they supposed to be like this needs to be judged on its merits because i can't handhold the audience through every little bit and understanding director's intentions and what their own personal background is i think will influence uh, the perception of it so like uh like I, i'm 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 using this as an example you know if if someone like Donald Trump was to make a put on a bad Japanese accent, we would understand the context of who he is as a person. He probably means it. Whereas mm-hmm. someone like Paul Thomas Anderson, when he's making his movies, who, as far as I'm aware, has shown nothing in interviews and in, in people dealing with him in interactions that he is a, a racist person that you have to understand maybe what is his intention of putting it in? What is, what is the reasoning for that? Like I said, even with all those caveats, if you're someone that does not appreciate seeing that or does not find that funny or finds that offensive and doesn't think it was handled right, I'm not the person that can be like, well, you're wrong. Like, obviously, if you feel that way, then that's perfectly acceptable and valid. And in sort of flipping it to, to Red Rocket, back to Red Rocket, it's sort of the same thing where very clearly Sean Baker is not someone that is pro-grooming or pro porn stars creeping on young girls sort of thing because we know that as a person he's not like that and you look at his previous films and he has such an open-minded view over everyone he doesn't judge a single character in any of his movies you know you look at something like tangerine which is about two trans prostitutes who are running around town trying to find their pimp so you have the the issue about uh, transgenderness, but then you also have the the whole sex industry thing as well. And there's quite a few sequences about how that industry works for them. And that doesn't mean that Sean Baker was judging any of the characters in any of those scenes. And so I sort of feel the same way with Red Rocket, where, yeah, it definitely kind of looks like Mikey is the hero of this movie, but that doesn't mean that Sean Baker or Simon Rex believe that personally. Do you think it's incumbent upon Sean Baker to explicitly like point a red arrow in the movie of saying this is bad? Because I mean, it doesn't necessarily say that grooming is bad. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. say that trying to get a 17 year old to join the film industry or the, the adult film industry is a bad thing to do. Um, do you think a filmmaker should be required to do something like that? That's 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 getting real slippery to sort of trying to police what can and cannot be made as art and not allowing a viewer to decide that on their own. That mm-hmm. that's sort of where I, I sort of fall. And I, I watch this and I don't look at Sean Baker and be like, oh, what a creep he is. <laughs> um despite the fact that I know the character that he created is morally wrong 
And so, yeah, it, it just becomes too close to sort of policing what sort of art can or cannot be made because you find one thing offensive and you say you can't make it this way, then you sort of, I know slippery slope arguments are not a good thing to, to make. Um, but you know, you don't have to look any further than different countries around the world that, you know, censor and police what their artists are allowed to make. Um, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, modern day China or Germany during world war two or, or things like that, uh, or like the entire cold war era of the USSR or, uh, the code era of Hollywood. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's. And that's not that's only talking about movies. That's not talking about uh, theater or music or actual um, visual art, things like that, where there's the same sort of restrictions put in place for artists anywhere in the world. And it really, in my opinion, it really is up to the audience to decide if they believe something is appropriate or not and then choose to spend or not spend money on that. I completely agree with you. I always held the belief that like, an audience isn't stupid, you know, and I, and I don't think that filmmakers need to spoon feed every aspect of a film into an audience member's mouth. Like I, I feel like you can treat audiences with a level of respect. And I think I remember when Chris Nolan came out with inception, that was probably one of the biggest comments he got was he doesn't think his audiences are stupid. You know, he actually thinks there's a a level of intelligence here and I'm going to use it. And I'm despite the, crazy amount of exposition and inception he's not going to explain everything to you like it does require you to put the pieces together a little bit um and i've always held that belief i always thought you know if if somebody sees explicit like racism or casual racism on the screen you know we can clock that we understand that it is racism and or sexism or you know grooming or whatever it might be like whatever unjust or immoral thing that is happening on screen it's happening and we can say you know yeah it's not right what is going on and to be honest if you can't do that if you feel like there's a need to me that almost says some a little bit more about you than it does about the movie Mm -hmm. um because you know it is that speaking to maybe a subconscious bias or prejudice that you have don't know i'm not going to speak for every single audience member out there but i was honestly a little surprised slash disheartened when i saw people taking pta down for not explicitly saying hey this this racism against this japanese woman is terrible Mm -hmm. i'm like why it doesn't that shouldn't need to be said you know that shouldn't need a red flag because it's it's right there in front of us you know and that's one reason I think I like Red Rocket so much is that Sean Baker doesn't feel the need to put text all over it and say, hey, guys, this is terrible what's happening here, just as an FYI. Um, and it makes the movie a bit more interesting as well, that we never condemn Mikey. We never, truly, we don't really look down on him. Like, I think we pity him more than anything else because we think he's kind of pathetic and just a little bit like, you know, a grown man who is... I guess it, it's it's a bit of a, like a hubris thing, right? It's his ego where he's been, he was at the top of his game or he says he was. We actually don't know for sure how, how good he was um, at his job. But he's, according to him, he was, you know, top of the line. 
and now he's gone. And so I feel like there, to me, there's, there's something to be said about like, just kind of pitying the guy for being like, you can't get your life back together. And you're swimming, like you're squandering a bit. And it's, it's kind of sad a little, and not to say I, I sympathize with him in that way either. Not to say like, I excuse his behavior for that because yeah, you don't obviously. Cause what he does, what he does in the movie is pretty horrendous. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just was a little bit annoyed by that discourse online. And uh, I, it was kind of very timely that I ended up seeing red rocket. I think a few days after I saw all of that discussion um, about a movie that does the same thing. Although again, I haven't seen licorice pizza, but it does something similar. It sounds like, um, and does it really well. And hopefully the more people that watch it, kind of understand that as well because i i find that just a really interesting topic amongst film right now like the the era that we live in where people are being very very careful about what is said and what is depicted how it's depicted who's depicting it um who's behind the camera in front of the camera those types of things people are being very very careful right now and it's a bit frustrating to think that maybe we've gone a step backwards in terms of what we want filmmakers to make in in movies because i don't want to see us go back to the days of you know movies being spoon fed and that because like i think that we're in kind of a cool place of having some really intellectual um films whether and and that are really funny and entertaining as well like this isn't a serious kind of thought piece like this movie is is really funny even though i don't think we've talked about how funny it is it's quite a humorous movie yeah i i agree and like (laughs) i think maybe the the most funny not in a ha ha sort of way thing about all this discourse is while PTA is probably you know on the top echelon tier of you know indie filmmakers you know you probably put them alongside of, of someone like the the Cohen brothers um, maybe someone like Guillermo del Toro or whatever in the grand scheme of things as far as movies being seen almost no one will see this movie. Like if you're talking about wide audiences in the United States and worldwide, how much money is this movie going to make? Assuming, you know, there wasn't COVID, it would make what 20 to $30 million at the box office. It would probably end up being the like 80th highest grossing movie of the year. And you, you were to, if you were to go up to, you know, a family member who, who isn't a big film nerd or a friend or whatever, and you'd be like, all right, this weekend, there's two movies that are coming out. One's called Spider-Man, No Way Home, and one is called Licorice Pizza. <laughs> Tell me what you know about both these movies. And they'll say, well, Spider-Man, yeah, I know all about it. And here's the rumors and here's what's happening. And, you know, it's the end of a trilogy, all this sort of stuff is part of the MCU. And what's Licorice Pizza? <laughs> that sounds disgusting. Who wants to eat Licorice Pizza? That's, that's... That's unappetizing. No, thank you. And uh, and and so yeah. And then you compare it to something like Sean Baker and Red Rocket, and that's like even further down the list. Where like, oh, did you not see Tangerine, the movie shot on an iPhone a few years ago? What about uh, the Florida Project? Did you see that one? No, you didn't see either of those movies. You never heard of either of those movies. Well, then do I have something for you? <laughs> did Florida Project not do very, like, even after all of the? Because it had a bit of buzz around it for Oscars. Yeah, like Willem Dafoe got nominated for Best Supporting yeah. Actor, but like it's still not. But it still wasn't very widely seen. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like last year the Oscars were the least watched ceremony in history. 
And, they were you know, terrible, though. It was a, just yeah. a terrible ceremony as well. But like just, a common complaint yeah. about them is people don't know the movies that are nominated. Mm-hmm. They'll look at the best picture list, which is the biggest category, and they'll be like, I've heard of two of these movies, and that's yeah. it sort of thing. And I mean, I, I don't think Red Rocket's going to make its way in there. As much as I like it, it doesn't seem like... I don't like, know, it if there's seem justice, like Simon Rex will get nominated for Best Actor. Outside yeah. of that, like I can't see it getting any other nominations. Do you think the reason for that is the size of the film, or do you think it is the topic of the film? Uh, both. Both. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think. I think more than anything, the size. You know, while people complain about the Oscars are too elitist and they, they cover, they nominate movies that no one's heard of and stuff like that. Like on the grand scheme of things, if you're following movies, you usually have a a good idea of who the major players are. Yeah. You probably won't know what the best animated short films are or, um, who are the composers on best original score sort of thing. But like, usually if you follow film, you know, most if not all of the best picture nominees sort of thing and and i just think the size of red rocket's a little too small you rarely get movies this small that really make an inroads with award show but i also think you rarely get something as frank as this that kind of makes that big splash and i don't know if if A24 or its other distributors are going to be pushing for awards contention, because that's the other big thing is that you, you have to um, you actually have to work for these nominations. You, you need to go on the press circuit and do lots of interviews and stuff like that. And I could see them maybe pushing uh, Simon Rex outside of that. I don't, I don't know. Like that, that's such a tough thing to do. Also the fact that there's so much nudity in it and it is about, the porn industry, I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a bit of a tough pill for a lot of voters to, to kind of get on board with, especially like older voters where they're just like, eh, I'm a bit of a prude. No, thank you. <laughs> I also think in terms of like a 24 pushing, whether it's the movie or Simon Rex, like not to say that they can only push one person from one of their movies, but I feel like a lot of effort is probably going to be put into Denzel with the tragedy of Macbeth, although I don't think he's going to do very much press because he's dense. But Washington. he doesn't. He doesn't really need to do a lot. Of he doesn't need that. to. Yeah. But like, he's, yeah, if if you're yeah. looking at A24's you know potential award season contenders this year, you would probably put first and foremost the tragedy of Macbeth, then maybe mm-hmm. Come On, Come On, and then maybe The Green Knight, and then maybe Red Rocket. Would you put Red Rocket above Zola for in terms of? Awards you know, I would maybe even put contention. Zola above Red Rocket yeah. as far as award season possibility of like how that can be played out. It's a bit of a tangent because I know we're talking about Red Rocket, but Zola didn't quite hit. I don't think in the way that definitely not in the way I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be a bit of a bigger, make a bit, bit of a bigger splash um, just in terms of conversation. But it kind of came and went, didn't really make too much of a mark. It's a great movie, though. People should check it out. It is very good. I actually, I did, I did very enjoy that one, even though it's mm-hmm. not in my top ten. I would say, um, but let's 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 stay back on Red. Yeah, <laughs> talk a bit more about it. This movie, you talked about it before. This movie is really funny, and I think that's something that 
overall, it's a bit of a, a departure for Sean Baker's previous films. If you've seen Tangerine and, and uh, The Florida Project, they're not exactly funny movies. They're pretty bleak. There is some mm-hmm. humor in them, but it is mostly a portrait of the unrelenting uh, downward force that most Americans have to face and causes them to live on the fringes of societies. And so they can be tough watchers. They, they, there's no qualms about it. They are tough watchers at times. And whereas this, it's so played for laugh, so much played for laughs, especially uh, the male body. You know, Simon Rex, he's, a, he's an attractive man. He's, he's very fit, he's very muscular, but he uses nudity as a form of comedy, much in the way of maybe something like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall when Jason Siegel is full frontal and he gets broken up and, you know, he, he's sobbing and crying. It's kind of funny. <laughs> They're like, ah, look at the naked man crying. But, you know, Jason Siegel's also, you know, he's not like a, a supermodel. He's he's a regular looking guy, a bit of a dad bod sort of thing going on for him. Simon Rex is very clearly a very muscular man. And that's not something we normally see played for comedy in this same way where, you know, there's this, there's this fantastic scene. I don't really want to spoil too much about it, but he gets woken up in the middle of the night in his home. He obviously sleeps naked because he has no shame about his body and he ends up running away, but he was running away down the street naked. And you just see him in all of his glory bouncing all around. And it is quite funny and quite um, gratuitous in what is shown. (laughs) Like it's an unflinching camera look at him, like, but it's hilarious. Yeah. I, you know, we've very randomly talked a lot about male nudity on this podcast, Uh, but I, I like, I like the way that it was used because you're right. You know, he is, he is very, you know, he's, he's a handsome guy and he's got a very fit body. Um, and so it's not played for the, haha, look at this fat naked guy. Not like that. Like yeah. it's literally, it's just funny that he's naked because of, I think we don't really see it until nearing to the end. So like we've been on this, you know, hour long journey with him and knowing how pathetic he is and that like it, he's about to get his comeuppance or we hope he is anyways. Um, and so then, you know, to get thrown into the type of vulnerability that only nudity can really put you in. Because when you're naked, it's it's a very, very vulnerable position to be in because, yeah, you're just naked. Um, and yeah, I, I love that. I think the thing with this movie, I think, that makes it work really well is the humor. The fact that it's pretty dark humor and it's, um, I wouldn't call it satirical, but it, it's very dark humor. And it's but it's funny like it's really really funny and it's explicitly like laugh out loud like in the 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 screening i went to like people were very very into it and they were everyone was you know just thought it was especially that scene you're talking about dakota like it was really funny especially because um you've got nsync's bye 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 playing in the background which is a great tool because it was that song was being used throughout the entire film um as a bit of a kind of uh, maybe a nod to his younger years as a, you know, or maybe Sean Baker's younger years um, growing up with that song being as iconic as it is, but yeah, it works really, really well. And I think the comedy is one thing that helps to maybe ease a bit of the immorality that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, a unique way of going around that. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe the performance of Susanna Sun, who plays Strawberry, who, you know, 
I feel like we're gonna I feel like we're I'm gonna try not to retread our conversation that we had at the beginning. So I'm gonna leave all that sort of behind and sort of just mm-hmm. talk about this movie what it is. Um she also has a great amount of of screen charisma and mm-hmm. and you see how well that Simon Rex and Susanna Sun play off each other and their chemistry is extremely believable where this very easily could have been a bit of a, a snooty, uptight teenager, you know, whatever, or know-it-all sort of role. But she really has a lot of, I don't even know how to describe it, just like a lot of personality to her. And you just are so intrigued by who this young girl is and what she's going to do with her life and why she's hanging out with this guy and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but she was very transfixing with her with her performance. Do, do you agree with that? Absolutely. She's really, like, quite incredible. And, and the thing I think that makes her performance work so well is the fact that she can play on one hand, super confident. Like she has that. Yeah. I might be three weeks to 18, but like, I'm basically an adult. Like I know what I'm doing, but yet she also has a bit of the innocence that young people have, you know, the end of a bit of unsurety. Like she's, she's, confident but she's not like you can kind of tell it's very put upon confidence that she's forcing it um and i think that that really helps with her performance because the balance that she's able to create there is i think without it then the character of strawberry is incredibly different because you know like like you said we don't want to retread what we already talked about but she is able to kind of we don't look at her so much as a victim of grooming, not in the way mm-hmm. that we, we might typically think because she is innocent, but she's not that innocent. I just thought of a Britney Spears. I'm not innocent. She's not naive. She's not yeah. dumb. Yes. Ac- she, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things is consent plays a pretty big part in this movie where mm-hmm. she's yeah. always consenting to what's happening. There, there's no moment of this movie. Do I feel that like he is actually taking advantage of her, that she seems to actively want to go along with his plans. Yeah. And you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's her, I mean, she she plays the the kind of the the reason in a sense of why we have these laws in the first place. Like she plays up the idea of a kid who thinks they know better than they actually do, you know. But she is so confident in that she's okay, that she's fine, that yes, this is what she wants to do. But the whole point of having these laws in place to protect minors is because they kind of don't really know everything. I mean fair enough like we're in our 30s and i don't think we know everything and i think the older you get the more you realize like how little you know but when you're that age right you kind of feel a bit invincible almost that nothing is gonna hurt you nothing everything you're doing is because you want it to happen um in many ways and and she does a great job of of showing that but yet yet like i i find the fact that she's able to still be quite innocent in a lot of things is really impressive. Like I, I don't know if it's because her face is quite sweet looking. Like she has a very sweet face, and maybe it's the the southern drawl as well that kind of helps with that. But she does, and the way they dress her too, it, it is very young. Like she does look like a young girl, mm-hmm. but not like a little girl, because that that's kind of the weirder thing too. Is like I never uh, this again. This might say more about me, but it's like I never get grossed out by what's going on on screen and i think that has a lot to do with with uh, 
Susanna Sun's performance because she never makes it feel gross or creepy. Like we just know it is because we're aware of like the entire situation, but they don't explicitly make it feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I I agree with all that. I think this movie also has something where it works really well when you see it in theaters. I, I'm mm-hmm. really going to dance around it, but there's a scene where something bad happens between Mikey and then this other guy, uh, Lonnie, that he's befriended, his his neighbor that his ex-wife used to babysit when, when he was a kid or something like that. And something bad happens, but we don't see what it is right away. We just see them freak out and run away and be like, don't talk about this if anything happens. And then we see there's a reveal a few scenes later. I don't even know how long it is, maybe five minutes, seven minutes later, there's the reveal. And in the audience, when I saw it, it was just like a, (gasps) everyone, I I have not seen that sort of a reaction from a theater in a very long time. And I can't even maybe pinpoint another time like that. Was that the same experience that you had? Yeah, absolutely. And keeping in mind too, it's like the the screening I went to was part press screening, but also part... um, kind of like a general public that won tickets to it. Okay. So it was a bit of a smaller, like smaller than a film festival, which is where, where you would have seen it. But everybody in there, when that happened, it was a lot of like, holy crap. Like it was a bit of disbelief and um, yeah. I mean, without giving it away, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie because, Mm -hmm. you know, usually in movies, it's always, like you see something like that happen in movies or, or TV shows a lot, mm-hmm. um, but never do you actually see the consequences of it. Yeah. And it like it's shocking the way that they did it, and um, and it really just goes to show as well. Just like it deepens that character of Mikey, and I think that's the point too. Funny enough, when the audiences really turn on him, when you start yes. to turn and be like, "Yeah, Mikey's a real shit piece of." crap like you know he's yeah. he's really he's a really bad dude not just is he and i i don't know if that says more about maybe how we feel about these kind of big age gap you know relationships but it, it i to me that's the moment that they put in that you just kind of turn on a dime on him if you weren't already convinced that he was a piece of shit you you're definitely convinced now mm-hmm. yeah and i think that also really speaks to the uh, prowess of of Sean Baker as a director that mm-hmm. I literally can't think of such a exciting, shocking event in a movie where the audience is just so blown away by it. Because normally, anytime there's like a twist or something like that, it just sort of happens. Whereas this, we're kind of left hanging, and then he comes back to it. And and the more we he makes us wait, the better the reveal is. And, and I don't know other filmmakers could have the confidence to pull something like that off and nail it as well as he did. He, he knocks this movie out of the park. Like it's, this movie is incredibly impressive from the way he tells the story in that particular moment that we're talking about here, or just the grooming kind of relationship in general, Mikey's relationship with his, his estranged wife and mother-in-law, like, um, he handles it really, really well. He manages everything pretty perfectly. And the way it shot, it's a pretty beautiful looking movie as well. You know, like all the oil refineries behind it. That's, that's a very uh, commonly used setting in the film and it looks gorgeous. Like it's, I find this movie really interesting because it looks really, really great. Um, 
but without looking seedy or grimy, if that makes sense. Like it just kind of shows it for what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. So it shows Texas city for what it is. And, and it's still like really beautiful. Did you, did you find it like aesthetically very pleasing? Oh yeah. It didn't surprise me at all. Considering his previous work, considering the budgets he has, Mm -hmm. all of his movies always look so stunning and he knows how that, that that's the main thing about Sean Baker is he just doesn't judge anything. He he knows how to effectively use his camera to see the upside or the bright side of literally everything. And the fact that he continued it with this, which is, you know, it, it's it's very stylistically quite different than than his last two films, but still you can understand how only Sean Baker could make this movie. Mm-hmm. I was not surprised at all with, with just how stunning he makes, you know, sort of small town, rural, conservative America in, you know, the Bible Belt of Texas look. And and it looks so nice where you, you can almost see yourself wanting to live there, despite the fact that this is a pretty rundown, crappy town where unless you work in the oil refineries, there's nothing for you to do in that town. I stayed to the end um, of the, like at the end of the credits and they thank uh, the donut hole, the sh- like the, sh- the shop and um, the Miss fan, I think Miss Fawn who owns it. Like that's a real donut shop that is actually oper- like it, it, it. I think it's a real shop that actually operates in Texas city. And the, the woman that's in it is actually like a real person, <laughs> um, which I thought was really interesting. Cause it's like, he's using, he's not trying to make it look like I, obviously he's not using a set, but it's like, he's not trying to create a situation where there's this random donut, you know, um, it reminds me of like coffee time in Canada, like kind of that or country style, like that kind of a thing. Um, uh, I will, I will correct you uh, a little bit. The, the woman who does play the, the donut shop proprietor, she's actually his, uh, regular producing partner. Oh, you're right. Sorry. What did I see then at the end of the credits? I think maybe it's just that the donut hole shop is like a real place. Because I remember thinking that that was really interesting that they just jumped on an existing restaurant, cafe, whatever you want to call it, um, Mm -hmm. versus saying, let's set something up and take like an abandoned building and and make it something like it, it actually is a real donut shop, which I thought was really cool. And I think like that adds to um the realism that he shows without it seeming fake that doesn't make sense the realism he shows it doesn't make a fake it's like the realism he shows that is like mm-hmm. it's incredibly authentic like it doesn't it doesn't look like he's trying too hard to make texas city look like something it's not like just like a stereotype of maybe what he thinks it's it's just showing the beauty that is actually there without the judgment that someone that isn't from there might not see yeah, and that, I mean, I actually read an article in, uh, what was the website? Inside Hook, I think it was. Um, and it was talking about, it was actually taking Baker to task a little bit about his use of Texas City. And she kind of used the term uh, poverty porn, being like, you're basically showing this is the worst situation for Mikey to land in, which is his hometown, his home, like a shitty hometown. Um, and kind of like, I guess saying that, you know, when you, when you characterize a city like that or a town like that, it's, I, I suppose you could say it's a bit elitist and it's, you know, it is, I, I don't know. I don't, I personally didn't think it was 
poverty porn. I know Baker got that criticism for Florida Project as well, though, um, that, you know, you were kind of maybe taking advantage of, uh, you know, lower income communities. And Nomadland, I believe, also got that same criticism. At no point can you make a movie that takes place in a small town because then it just basically boils down to your elitist no matter what sort of thing. Like you yeah. can you can film something like New York or Los Angeles and be like, here's the good side, but also here's the bad side and be <laughs> able to sort of see both at the same time and be like, yeah, that's the good side of New York or it's the bad side of New York or whatever you want to call it. Um, really the only time, the only thing I could think of where it sort of shows the underbelly and it being a good thing is maybe something like The Wire where mm, Baltimore yeah. is a city with a lot of faults and a lot of things going wrong for it. But despite the fact that it shows the warts and all in The Wire, you don't sort of walk away of being like, oh, what a gross, disgusting city. Anytime I think of poverty porn, I think of um, that Richard Gere movie where he plays a homeless person. And what? What movie is this? He, what's it called? It's like time out of end of time, time out of time out of mind. Is that what it is? The po- the reason I bring it up is because to prepare for this role, he pretended to be homeless. Like he actually lived on the street um, with homeless people who didn't know who he was. And he just pretended to be homeless. And like, he got a lot of flack for that, which he should. Cause I think that that's a bit, gross to do in my opinion um you're a massive hollywood star who can go home to his beverly hills mansion whatever he wants and you're just kind of literally slumming it um because what art i don't know but yeah anytime i think of poverty porn i always think of of richard Gere playing a homeless man there was another movie i watched recently actually called uh it's a hong kong movie which came out this year it's called drifting and it's about rough sleepers in um a pretty uh, poor district in Hong Kong and the Q&A there was one of the lead actresses in that Cecilia Choi I believe is her name she was they were talking about this issue of poverty porn of saying like are you taking advantage of a community like a vulnerable community who doesn't really get a voice and you have these rich I mean not Hollywood type in Hong Kong but like rich these filmmakers who are coming in and depicting it in a certain way and she was saying that the aim of the film was it wasn't about eliciting sympathy. It was more about creating empathy for the people. And I thought that that was a really nice way to put it. And I think Red Rocket kind of does something similar where it's, it's not like, I don't even think that the characters in Red Rocket feel like we need to give them empathy. It just kind of gives an understanding of who they are and why they live there in Texas city. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, it didn't, I didn't, Again, like maybe I'm not in a position. I'm definitely not in a position to probably comment it because I've never been to Texas City and I don't know what it's like to grow in uh, to grow up in in a really small town. But it just seems to me that they're just showing the reason why people live there. You know, there is a sense of community, and you know, for some people, this is just your life. Like this is, and you're pretty content to live it. So I, I thought that was interesting, though, that somebody did raise it up um, that this was poverty porn, according to them. Like in their opinion, it was. Yeah. This is Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. I'm your host, Jeff, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Pierre. Pierre, what movie are we talking about today? Jeff, what are you talking about? We're recording an ad. 
Oh, is this an ad for Kicking It With Kendrick? The show where every week we bring on a different expert to talk about the filmography of Anna Kendrick? No, no, this is an ad for Losing It Over Leo, the show where we chronologically go through Leonardo DiCaprio's career from childhood to his Oscars. Are you entirely certain this isn't an ad for CML Classics, episodes of Classic Movies Live that we recorded two years ago? Well, I guess it's an ad for all four at this point. Well, you know what? That just works out, because you can find all four of those over on the Heatwave Radio channel on Spotify. Nice. I think that was a, a good conversation about this movie. Shall we move on to our fun portion of the A24 series? Absolutely. And actually, before we do actually, though, after I say absolutely, I know you're a big Sean Baker fan. Where does this movie lie in the rankings of Sean Baker movies for you? Well, I've only seen his, his three most recent movies mm-hmm. that I've referenced several times. I haven't seen his earlier stuff, but uh, but it's easily number one for me. Yeah. Followed okay. by Florida Project and Tangerine. I haven't seen Tangerine. I really do want to watch that. I've only I've seen Florida Project, and that was like I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was well done, but it wasn't. I, I wasn't absolutely taken with it. I um, but I really want to watch Tangerine. After seeing this, I'm much more interested in watching more of his movies now. Um, but anyways, double feature, non A24 double feature. What do you got for that? This was this is a bit of a tricky one because. It's sort of unique where it's about the adult entertainment industry. And yeah, there's there's movies like that about it, but nothing really sort of like this. Mm-hmm. And really, the porn industry isn't even the focal point of this movie, which maybe grooming is. I don't really want to make a grooming double feature, so that's a little <laughs> gross. Um, especially since... I, I don't... I literally cannot think if there's a single other movie that maybe puts us positive of a spin on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm just saying all the worst things on this episode um <laughs> i so, dakota arsenal i love grooming movies wow i'm totally not clipping <laughs> that out um all right <laughs> um yes back on track so i decided to go on a slightly different tangent and it's sort of a oh god um a mentor-mentee relationship movie. And so I'm going with A Star is Born. Oh, wow. Okay. I was not expecting that. that You could have given me literally a thousand guesses, and I don't think I would have guessed A Star is Born. What's Where are you going with that? Yeah, do you see some of the the similarities where you've got, like, you could pick anyone. I've only seen the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga one, so that's the only one I could really reference. But, you know, sort of this uh, washed-up famous okay. person in their profession who is taking uh yeah. an up and comer under his wing and this washed up person definitely has a lot of flaws and are clearly going to be the downfall of everyone around them by the end sort of thing uh so yeah that's sort of the, the tangent that i'm thinking for that how uh how does that sit with you that's interesting when you first said that i thought that's crazy 
but now that I think about it a little bit more, yeah, it's kind of almost like as if, um, you know, what happens after the camera fades to black in Red Rocket, like it, that's the relation, like it's kind of the, the execution of the, the relationship, not as in dying execution, mm-hmm. but like, you know, the execution of the relationship, like how it plays out. And that, oh, that's really interesting. I actually really like that. And I like that, you know, especially in the Bradley Cooper one or Lady Gaga one, um, Jackson is like, I, I like the focus that is on Jackson a little bit more in that movie in comparison to some of the um, previous versions of A Star is Born. Cause I think those focus uh, more on Gaga's character, but yeah, I, I like that. That's really interesting. So you would say specifically the, Oh no, but sorry, you didn't, you said you hadn't seen the, like the Streisand version or anything like that. Yeah. So I can't really compare them to the other ones, but yeah, I would, I would compare it to the, my, my pairing is with the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. That's interesting. I like that. I've come around on it. I like it. I like it. I've come around on it. I want to be a little unique. Yes. I like that one. Um, I will, I will spoil it. Stephanie did suggest that for me. (laughs) We were, we were talking about it and she hasn't seen Red Rocket. Uh, so first she, she suggested Zola. I said, I can't do Zola. Zola is an A24 movie, but also Zola is nothing like Red Rocket. I think we just got a peek inside who's the brains of the operation in this situation. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, I, I really like that though. Tell Steph, awesome. I really enjoyed that. I guess she'll hear this. I will tell her that. Good pick, Steph. Hopefully, I really yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> what about you? What's your pick? Um, okay, so similar to you, you kind of go through the movies about the porn industry. So I thought of like Boogie Nights, um, Girl Next Door. That was actually a, a serious mm-hmm. contender. I thought about Girl Next Door because that's kind of the female side of it, and that to me is interesting of looking at you know um not a former porn star because mikey is still trying to get into it but like the difference between how a man and a woman are perceived after being in the adult film industry um, especially since it also features teenagers too oh yeah that's true i didn't think about that so that would be not a bad one <laughs> yeah i like that was probably the first like, no boogie nights is definitely the first thing i thought of but that's because i i would argue it's probably one of the more pinnacle films about the porn industry mm-hmm. um or, or at least most well known um, but I ended up going with a movie called Don John, which was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut. Oh, yeah. So where I was going with this was Don John is more about the consumption of porn, the consumption of rom-coms, and the unrealistic expectations that they create for, stereotypically for men, porn for men, rom-coms for women. Um, I really like that movie. I think it's it's interesting and I think JGL's a pretty pretty dope director and I'd like to see him do more. Um but yeah, for me I just kind of went on the other side of the porn industry which is I guess the side that we're all on which is like more of the consumption of it versus um being in the porn industry. And yeah, that I I went with Don John. How do you, how do you feel about that pick? I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment yeah. too much on it. But uh, but yeah, what you're describing, what I know about the movie, that sounds like that's a, a pretty interesting sort of the flip side of this movie where it's also, a, a, I'm guessing from what I know of it, a, a fairly comedic take on the look of porn addiction and things like that as opposed to something like uh, the Steve McQueen film Shame with Michael Fassbender, which is not funny at all. No. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, no humor uh, that's a good shame. pick. No, no. Uh, no. Is, literally, the 
opposite inverse of humor. I mean, uh, if it, there's such a thing. It is in the title, shame. Like it is, it's dark. Shame, yes, yes. Um, no, Don, true, yeah. Don John's excellent. I think it's a, it's. I would recommend it to pretty much anybody. I think it's a great movie, and he does a really, really good job of playing like the bro. I don't know how. Uh, to be honest, I you know I don't know how well it holds up today in terms of kind of gender stereotypes and things like that, but. I think it is still a really interesting commentary on gender stereotypes and how we perceive them. And then, yeah, porn addiction and things like that, which don't get talked about too often. I don't think in, uh, in general, I don't think porn addiction gets talked about very much. Um, okay. okay. Would you rather, what would you go with? Okay, so you know how in the last episode I came up with the best question that put totally everyone, they knocked their socks off? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to go that dark again. Okay, uh, thank I'm not going to ask you to pick what parent you want to die or live or anything like that. <laughs> or anything really gross and creepy that I could with this one because you could very easily go yeah. gross and creepy with this movie. So instead, would you rather have your life soundtracked by NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys. Not I'm going to think about it, huh? No, I'm a big Backstreet Boy girl fan. That's that's me. That's like I was growing up. You were either BSB or you were NSYNC. I was 100% BSB. That Those guys. Although today I will say I do wish they would just stop performing a little bit. I wish that they would stop putting out music. Um, yeah, I'm a big Backstreet Boy fan. You know, Backstreet's back. All right. And, uh, you know, I can't even say that the songs necessarily will soundtrack my life, but it would be a deep betrayal of 12 year old Rachel to go with NSYNC. Cause you know, as much as bye, bye, bye is a fantastic song. I have to admit. Um, yeah, no, 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 uh, no ramen haired Justin Timberlake for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, what about you? Are you NSYNC or are you Backstreet Boys? Oh, also don't need to think about this at all. Backstreet Boys. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. Yeah, this was something where I I knew neither of us would have to think very hard. We are of the age when they were popular, Mm -hmm. and I was I was all about the BSB as well. My uh, my mom had tried to get me tickets when they were playing at Molson Amphitheater, Mm. and couldn't. So we got tickets to Ontario Place. And they have a mini golf course where part of it overlooks the Molson Amphitheater. So there was a small group of people that were watching some of the show from there until security eventually saw us and kicked us out. But yeah, I uh, I watched, uh, I, w- I must have been, I don't know, eight years old or something like that, watching uh, Backstreet Boys play from a million miles back um, illegally. <laughs> what a great Molson Amphitheater hack. I've never yeah. heard of that's amazing. That's great. I don't I, know if it's still like that because they did quite a bit of reconstruction uh, a little over a decade ago. And yeah. I think they're about to do a, a new major overhaul of the whole facility. So you probably can't do that anymore. But uh, but yeah, that was something I did once. Yeah, I don't think you can do that anymore. However, I do think it would probably be a little bit easier to get a Backstreet Boy ticket today. Although probably. saying that they do sell out really quickly. I say that because last time they were performing at the Molson Amphitheater, which is just a few years ago, um, I tried to get a ticket and there was only grass, like lawn seats were the only thing left. And it was like 20 bucks. It's not bad. I didn't end up going, but I kind of wish I had no, but yeah. Um, Actually boys forever. Anyways, I, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I went with, uh, not anything dark or gross, because, yeah, let's not do that. Um, 
I went with, would you rather run down your childhood street naked and all the people who you grew up with that are there, like they're still living there, or would you rather do naked karaoke of Bye Bye Bye, but in a room full of strangers who you will never see ever again? Oh, boy. Um... Uh, I'm glad I got you. I stumped you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you you got me because uh, apparently neither is an option here. Um, <laughs> oh God! Uh, no pictures or video is being taken of the performance, right? I can't guarantee that there will be no pictures of anything. Whether it's your neighbors down running down the street, like seeing you, they might take video. There might be video of you doing karaoke. Can't I can't promise you either. You know what? I feel like I'm gonna have to say running down the street because I'm a decent runner, so you know I feel like <laughs> I can get that done pretty easily. And it'd be one of those things where it's like, hey, is that a naked guy running? Oh yeah, look at that. He's gone already. Whereas, you know, if you're in a karaoke room, that's like a solid three and a half minutes of everyone's eyes are directly on you. Mm-hmm. And most so, likely, uh, you're going to want to dance to Bye Bye Bye. Like, you're going to want to do the Bye yeah. Bye Bye dance. And, and that, someone's going to be like, yeah. look at this guy. I got to take a picture of this guy up here. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say running down the street. I choose the same. I choose running down the street, Nick. Yeah? Okay. It just, see, I, I, I'm not a great runner, but I would say, like, if you could just do, like, a really quick sprint, just just go for it. Put all your effort into that. Um yep. You know, it could, it could be okay. And I mean, I didn't caveat the time of day, so it could be at nighttime, but yeah. yes. Cause in the scene of this movie, it does take place. It does take it as night. Yeah. Which isn't as bad as, uh, in the middle of the day, which also could, you know, I mean, tying into grooming, you could have minors on the street, which would be very inappropriate for that to happen. That would um, be very inappropriate. More so for you than for me, to be honest. But yeah, that's it would not be great <laughs> to have that happen. Um, but yeah, great. Another excellent round of Would You Rather. Yeah, we're, we're really knocking these out of the park here. <laughs> Just only only intellects allowed in this uh, in this game. A hundred percent. All right. Well, I think that uh, that puts a nice little uh, bow on this conversation about Red Rocket. It was a lot of fun talking about it. I'm glad you you forced my hand and made (laughs) us do this. So as always, Rachel, where can listeners find more of your work and you yourself? Uh, You can go to rachelkh.com and find me on socials underscore rachelkh. That's on Twitter and on Instagram. Have you got anything recently oh, yes. that you, uh, you want to promote? <laughs> uh, yeah, we finished up the end of year list on um, exclaim.ca. So there's two, I'm going to say one really great list, which is the underseen and underrated list, which is probably the favorite one that I've done because I like kind of shining light on things that maybe didn't get, got a little bit overlooked over the year. Um, and then one, not to say it's not a good list, it's a good list, but it's just very negative, and that is the most disappointing films of the year. Um, so yeah, so those are both up on exclaim.ca. Yeah, I, I, I've got some beef with that underrated and underseen list. There's some there's some choice picks in there that basically amounted to popular movie that everyone says is bad, maybe isn't as bad as you think. Are you talking about Red but Notice? your choices were good. Are you talking about I am Red talking Notice? about Red Notice. 
Yeah. That was uh, up for debate, Red Notice. <laughs> I'll just say that. I personally have <laughs> have you seen have you seen Red Notice? Did you watch it? No, I have zero interest in it. Okay, I watched it and it's literally everything you would expect it to be. It's just you know. It seems like it was literally uh made from an algorithm. Yeah, I agree with that. I was calling it um what was I calling it? Like Hollywood Mad Libs. Like it's just like The Rock, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Gal Gadot, a holly like a heist. Yeah, like quippy, PG rated. Like it's PG rated Deadpool kind of thing. Um Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. I I yeah. I was just say I didn't pick red red notice for mine. <laughs> your, I did. your picks were fine, yes. I picked I oh thank you. <laughs> um I picked I approve of your picks. I I have I mean my big kind of horse that I've been championing for like the last six months has been nine days. So yeah, I was very insistent that we include that one in because I really enjoyed that movie. Well, good. I'm going to link to that in the show notes for people to make their own uh, judgment calls on uh, the validity of the list. <laughs> but you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you've seen this film distributed by A24, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And this is the last episode of our year right now. So we're going to take a few weeks off and then we're going to regroup and then we're going to be back in January and it's going to be terrific. So I hope you'll be back then and stay subscribed to us. Thanks for checking us out.